A Gay and a Non-Gay is a podcast from James Barr and Dan Hudson. Two unlikely friends take on the world. James has got umbrage with the fact that I did a lot of work to spread the word Gaysian around, which I don't get the credit for. Dan thinks he invented the word Gaysian. And as we're speaking to a gay Asian person today, I'm in fear that he might bring that up. I'm not sure what's giving me more anxiety, coronavirus or the fact that you could drop the Gaysian. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to a gay and a non-gay with Dr. Rand. Welcome to a gay and a non-gay. I'm gay. I'm James. He's non-gay. He's Dan. And this week we're joined by this morning's resident health expert, star of Strictly Come Dancing and CBBS. He's a Sunday Times best-selling author, columnist for Attitude Magazine, and his new show, Doctor Range on Call, uh, is out now on ITV. He's also a dish and should have been joining us on tour in London this week. But as everything is awful right now, we decided that we should get him on FaceTime. Um, to have a chat about everything going on in the world. There's loads of questions about COVID-19 and what it means for all sorts of different LGBTQ plus people, including people with HIV. Yes, but if you don't want to hear about the coronavirus, because let's face it, it's dominating absolutely everything, just skip to about halfway where we're talking more about Dr. Ange himself and his life yeah. growing mm-hmm. up as a, as a Gaysian. Having said that, we do also talk about rimming and the dangers of that during the coronavirus pandemic. So, you know, there is, back. <laughs> there is still some again and non-gay content throughout. So enjoy today's episode. I'm actually surprised we've managed to get you on the podcast because you must be so busy right now. Obviously, we were meant to record live in London tonight. I'm gutted we couldn't do the tour with you guys. I was very much looking forward to meeting a cock destroyer. I'm not going to lie. But there will be another time where I will get to touch a cock destroyer. How is the Dr. Ranch surgery holding up? Yeah, I, I see, I work in A&E and I work with children and young people. And actually, we've been relatively spared because it's mainly affecting the adults and especially the elderly who have got long-term medical problems, which is terrible. And it's putting a huge pressure on our hospitals. And that's why it's important for everybody else to play their part. Stay at home, people. Stay at home unless you really have to leave the house. How do you feel when you see these photos on social media of people, you know, in Victoria Park? And I was out in Alexandra Park the other day. I went for a run and then I got there and I was like, oh, my God, what are all these people doing here? Does that really wind you up? It doesn't wind me up. It just worries me that the message isn't getting through. And I wish people could see what it was like on the other side. If you could see what was going on there it would really open your eyes and change your behavior. If it was somebody that you knew or loved that was affected seriously by coronavirus, it would change your behavior. But please don't wait until that happens to stop doing that kind of stuff. It's, um, I mean, I was about to say it's really hard. I don't mean it is hard because there's so much going on that (laughs) is harder for a lot of people than maybe the position that Dan and I are in. But we've woken up to a a completely different planet and that essentially is, is hard for everyone it's really turned everything upside down you know the world as we know it has changed very very quickly and our lives have changed very quickly our routines have changed very quickly and for a lot of people that's quite stressful and obviously it puts logistical and financial pressures on people and their families but it also puts a huge mental health pressure on people and i'd urge people to kind of look after themselves during this time give yourselves a break this is out of our control so let's accept that it's happening 
and let's just try and look after ourselves and do our best to mitigate these circumstances. We've got a question from Chris in Milwaukee, actually, and he said that uh, COVID-19 Chris, Chris is... Chris in where? It's How'd Milwaukee. You say it? Chris in Milwaukee. <laughs> <laughs> he says, COVID-19 has spiked my anxiety and depression. I'm worried about work, money, etc. One of my coping mechanisms for anxiety is to look past what I'm anxious about and look to something that I've got in the future that I'm looking forward to. But with everything being cancelled, it's pretty bumpy. Do you have any tips on how to cope? The biggest thing we need to do is give ourselves a break. What this pandemic has done is it's made us stop for a second and slow down and it's left us with our thoughts and feelings. And some of us are very, very anxious and our anxiety is being spiked by what we are reading constantly or hearing in the news or online. So take a bit of a step back, calm yourself down when your anxiety seems to be bubbling up, do whatever it takes to calm yourself down. And remember that things will get better. This is not how it's going to be forever. This is just a moment in time. We, are, we know from other countries that things do get better and they get through and come out of the other end. We're obviously seeing China coming out of it the other end as well as we speak. This will not be forever. This will be right now. And then you can look to that future and think, do you know what? As soon as we come out the other end of this, what am I going to do? What are the things I'm going to celebrate? What are the things I'm going to enjoy? And surely the, the more everyone listens to advice from people like yourselves, the quicker we'll get to that point, right? Well, this is the hope. So the thing about following all the strict advice right now, even though people are kind of doing it to a varying degree, is that if we do it properly now, one, we may potentially lower the severity of how bad things get. And secondly, we may get through it quicker. So actually, if we do it properly now, we'll thank ourselves in the long run. What we don't want to do is not pay attention or take it seriously now and then end up in trouble for a really long time because that's not doing anybody any favours. There's a lot of people also like making funny memes about it, like in the gay in the gay world. <laughs> it's like, I'm on prep, so I don't need to worry about coronavirus. Oh, um, and people suggesting that glory holes are social distancing. As I saw that particular meme earlier, I wanted to ask you, are glory holes safe okay you know what i i laugh about it but there is a, a very valid point you're making here can people have sex during a coronavirus pandemic the tricky thing about most sexual activity that involves more than one person it means you cannot socially distance adequately it kind of obliterates that rule in the first place the second thing is although there haven't been any cases of sexual transmission of coronavirus Theoretically, it could be possible, but we do know it can be spread through kissing and rimming. So I didn't expect that last one. No, neither did well, I. Well, yeah, it's not often that you throw rimming into a conversation. <laughs> I need a trigger warning if you're. <laughs> did you have a bad experience? Something happened to James's friend, didn't it? At Reading Festival or something, um, where he, he rimmed a girl and then what? He got really ill. Don't rim someone at a festival. That's grim. So whilst the risk of sexually transmitting coronavirus through oral sex in terms of penile oral sex or penis and vagina sex is low and masturbation is very, very low, because you're avoiding the social distancing rules, it could put you at slightly higher risk. And especially if you are kissing or rimming. However, there's nothing to say that you can't have phone sex or video sex or sext, providing it's legal and you're of uh, an age above 18, both of you. 
um, you know, people can start to get a bit more imaginative now. Solo sex. Bring back solo sex, also known as wanking. Wahey! Dr. Ange, what about if you're in a relationship with someone and you've both got the virus? Uh, so if you're living separately, you should be self-isolating individually away from each other anyway. So you self-isolate for seven days if you've got symptoms of possible coronavirus. If you're living with someone, if you happen to just get it, both get it at the same time, then you both have to self-isolate for seven days together because you're in the same household. But if one of you has it and the other one doesn't, the person who has it has to self-isolate for seven days to get over the illness. And the person who doesn't have symptoms has to self-isolate for 14 days to see if they pick up the illness. And then if they do develop symptoms they then have to isolate for a further seven days from that point if one is living with one and you both have the virus you know that you both have the virus can you have sex with each other i don't think you'd want to would you see this is the point so if you've both got coronavirus and you're both poorly with it i guarantee you the last thing on your mind is going to be sex it doesn't make you feel particularly sexy (laughs) it doesn't make you feel particularly horny I mean, if you're feeling really poorly, the last thing on your mind is going to be sex, Dan. I don't know, I'm speaking, maybe maybe you're different. We're hearing a lot of the same messages a lot. Um, yeah. But one of the things that's quite difficult in the UK is that you can't get tested presently unless you have severe symptoms. Yeah. So it's really impossible to know whether you have or haven't got it which i guess is why this isolation thing is so important because if you've got any symptoms you kind of need to lock yourself down but that's quite scary isn't it because for example i was off work for a week ill and i have no idea whether i had coronavirus but i had to isolate it's scary that we can't all get a test Yes, I totally understand the point of that. So the thing is, what we're assuming is that coronavirus has now become so prevalent within the population that actually, if you've got symptoms that are suggestive of it, the chances are you probably have it. And the vast majority of people that get coronavirus are going to be absolutely fine. They're not going to get severe symptoms. They're not going to have severe consequences. But the important thing is to protect the people that might do. Why is it picking on our parents, our grandparents? It's interesting. We don't really know. Obviously, a lot of people who are vulnerable to coronavirus are the same people that would be vulnerable to something like flu. So the elderly and those with long-term serious underlying medical problems, they would be at risk of any infection, really, a greater risk from any infection. And coronavirus is included in that. It's quite interesting. There's a bit of science behind this. So children are at the lowest risk at the moment from coronavirus. And the reason we think is basically what happens when you're a kid because every new germ or virus or bacteria you encounter is usually brand new your immune system is relatively naive and what it does it throws everything at it everything it possibly has because you have to survive you've got to survive being a kid so your immune system goes nuts goes all guns blazing at it however when you're an adult the older you get, your immune system becomes more and more clever and sophisticated and more and more specific. So that's why we think with grown-ups, with adults, especially the elderly, their immune system is potentially trying to be too clever, trying to be too specific and missing the mark. Whereas with kids, with the little ones who are throwing absolutely everything at it, they are better off because they're able to fight it. And none of us have immunity to this coronavirus naturally. So if you're too specific too soon, it could count against you. Whereas if you're younger and your immune system is a bit more, you know, throw everything in the kitchen sink at it, you might be better off.
what about people who are um who might be hiv positive are they um yeah more more at risk of getting it yeah so the bhiva association so the british hiv association released a statement on this and it's on various websites including terence higgins trust and things like that if you have hiv positive and your viral load is undetectable so it's under control and you have a normal CD4 count, then you're technically not immunosuppressed. Your immune system should be functioning okay and you shouldn't be at a higher risk. That's if you've got HIV that's under control and you're undetectable. However, if you have a weakened immune system because of HIV or AIDS, then you would be at higher risk and therefore you should take extra precautions. Is it advisable to come off PrEP at the moment? Is that is that maybe draining the NHS? Should we be doing as much as we can? Oh, is it medically advisable to come off PrEP first of all? Let's tackle that. Um, no, PrEP is one of the best and most effective tools we have in the prevention of HIV. So I would say don't come off your PrEP medically because it's it's only as of April 2020, it's going to be available on the NHS. That may or may not change depending on how the COVID situation pans out. But it's a really important tool in our armory in the prevention of HIV. And it has resulted in significant numbers of people being much, much safer from HIV. Socioeconomically, morally, should you come off it? I don't think so. It's there for a reason. And it's a service that is provided to the NHS for a reason, by the NHS for a reason. And it's really important reason. And also taking PrEP is not uh, labor intensive for the NHS necessarily. There's far, there's lots of other things that are quite labor intensive, but I wouldn't put PrEP up there high up on the list. I think it's, it's not going to pro- protect you against coronavirus in case anyone's wondering. However, it will protect you from HIV. And I think that's a really important thing right now because having HIV at this time, um, being newly diagnosed, that's life changing. And that could be much more significant than taking PrEP. So I think don't worry about taking PrEP in this current situation or circumstance. If you're taking it, keep on doing it and make sure you're getting, you know, you're monitoring it appropriately and you're getting the appropriate checks because I think that's far, far more important. What about pregnant women? Looking at all the scientific evidence we've got so far, there is no good evidence of increased risk to either pregnant women or to their babies. We have put pregnant women in the slightly higher risk group because we are taking extra precautions just in case. Dad, um, is there something you haven't told us about um talia here no i'm just i'm just taking i'm just looking out for all the pregnant women cheers mate do you have any other any tips if you're like struggling to stay motivated and happy at home through all of this because obviously we can do like workouts i've seen like yeah queen bingo on on instagram uh, Live. it's amazing the amount of content there is out there at the moment especially on social media you know you can get cookery lessons dance lessons watch a drag show watch mary mac do a show over the weekend oh my gosh I did a gay quiz on Friday night. That was hilarious with my mates. Um, There's loads of ways that you can connect with people online. However, if it's all becoming a bit much, step away from the electronic devices. Give yourself a bit of a break. Give yourself a bit of headspace. Try out a bit of mindfulness meditation. Switch off the electronic devices and switch off the news because it can all sometimes be a bit overwhelming. Do something that makes you feel good. At the moment, everyone's thinking, oh, you know what? I've got, I'm supposed to be working or I'm supposed to be at school or I'm supposed to be doing X, Y, and Z. Take this opportunity to take a break and say, this is out of my control. 
I'm now going to make it into a positive and I'm going to do all those things that I've been wanting to do for ages. I'm going to read that book. I'm going to watch that film. I'm going to cook that dish or whatever, or I'm going to, you know, do that job that I've been putting off that is going to give me a small victory because it's great to have those little victories, even if it is just making your bed in the morning. That's enough. If exercising makes you feel good, do it, providing you're, you know, paying attention to all that social distancing stuff. Eat that cake. Eat that pizza. Have that drink. I will. <laughs> whatever, it, whatever it is that makes you feel good, I think give yourself a break because we're all stressed at the moment. We are all freaking out. What we don't need is any more pressure or something else that we've got to do. Talking of food, is it is it okay to order a pizza or are you putting yourself... Oh, you're the second person to ask me this. Holly Willoughby asked me this today. She goes, is it all right to deliver? I hope so because I've done a fair amount of it recently. <laughs> um, there's very little negligible if anything evidence that you might get coronavirus from handling ordered goods whether whether that be over amazon or food delivery or getting your shopping so all i would say is wash your hands after handling whatever packaging it is or whatever but the chances of you getting coronavirus from a takeout very 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 low this is good news because i ordered some wigs today off of amazon <laughs> just to keep myself wigs. entertained okay <laughs> i'm coping really well a gay and a non-gay we're back with dr range in a second thanks for listening to our podcast today the podcast tour is back these are our brand new dates after our gigs were postponed you can join us on sunday the 6th of september in manchester tuesday the 8th of september in birmingham wednesday the 9th of september in brighton and on friday the 11th of september in london get yourself a ticket gain on gay.com slash live and we've also got something brand new and exciting about to launch we can't tell you exactly what it is yet but we want you to sign up at gaynongay.shop and we'll notify you as soon as it's ready sign up right now go to gaynongay.shop yeah, so we've been working on this behind the scenes for months. Very excited um, for you to get your hands on this stuff. So yeah, keep an eye on gainongay.shop. We're really proud of this too. I'm really excited for you to get one <laughs> without giving away too much. Okay, we're back in a sec with Dr. Ranch. When we originally planned to interview you, COVID-19 wasn't really on our agenda. <laughs> uh, we had like a lot of other questions that we wanted to ask instead. Um, yeah, let's do some normal stuff, people. Yes. <laughs> so I guess we wanted to ask when you were growing up. I thought you were going to ask me about sex. Well, actually, we can. People always it's... ask me about sex. Why? Yeah. I don't have that much of it. When was the last time? I don't remember. That's how long it's been. And why is that? Just because you're, <laughs> you're just so busy? Just because I'm really ugly. Oh, right, yeah. Okay. <laughs> we were going to ask, did you have any men to look up to when you were growing up? Did you know any other gay Asian men? What was life like? So I came out, as you know, when I was about 30. Um, so it's later on in life, I realized that actually who I thought I was and wanted to be wasn't actually me. And I didn't really have any role models growing up. I was, I, I've been working on a book recently and one of the subjects that I talk about in there is role models. And I was tasked with coming up with who was your role model when you were growing up? And I was like, that's really weird. I didn't have one. Isn't that surreal? I didn't have anybody in the media that I looked up to and thought you're like me or I want to be like you because that one there weren't many Asian people also like you know when I was a kid I didn't realize I was gay I didn't really know so I didn't 
I guess I didn't really look to people for that either. It's interesting, actually, looking back on it, thinking I didn't really have anybody that I aspired to. But saying that, I don't consider myself a role model as such. But if somebody looks at me now, and I I understand the importance of this, if somebody looks at me now on what I'm doing and says, do you know what, I can do that, or I'd like to do that, then that to me is the greatest honour and achievement ever. And even if one person does that, then my job is done. And you're from a Sikh background. I am. What's the Sikh vibe on being gay? That's really interesting, actually, because um, there are various religions that are quite prescriptive about sexuality and they tend to be very heteronormative. Sikhism, interestingly, doesn't take any stance on sexuality at all. It doesn't mention sexuality or homosexuality at all in any of the uh, religious texts or scriptures or anything. It does talk about the union of people and it talks about it in a heteronormative sort of context, but it's usually between man and woman because that is what was the most common thing. You know, if you imagine a religion that was born 300 odd years ago, heteronormativity back then would probably have been even more of, a, of the normal thing. People weren't really potentially open to other genders, other sexualities, you know, the, the whole spectrum that we, the beautiful whole spectrum that we have now. So Sikhism per se doesn't really take a stance on it. And that's quite, that's a really nice thing about it, actually. Not that I'm particularly religious, but I've, I've always thought that that's quite nice that it isn't. But also Indian culture is quite interesting. Indian culture is a bit of a, 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 a pose, it's a bit of a contradiction because Indian culture over over the years and thousands and thousands of years is full of diversity when it comes to things like gender and gender roles and sexuality. We have, you know, Hindu deities that are part male, part female. We have a whole third gender. There's a recognized gender in various parts of India. So if people who are intersex or transgender, that is a recognized third gender. In fact, transgender people are revered and even feared in certain Indian cultures because they are thought of as carrying special powers. So India is a bit of a contradiction in, in, in some ways. In parts of it, it's quite strict about, you know, certain parts of India are quite strict about sexuality and religion and stuff like that. Yet Indian culture itself is full of all these contradictions where we do have things like transgender and fluid people and deities and practices. This is the thing I think that I've learned from doing this podcast. Religion just seems to be like the opinion of a couple of people at the time rather yes. than actual facts. And you've got to read it and take a That's wider exactly. message from it rather yeah. than the specifics. I totally agree. And this is where I think there is this understand and rationalize it. You have religion, which is kind of like a set of rules that applies to a particular time. And then you have faith, which is an everlasting, pervading, pervasive thing. And you can have one or the other. You can have both. And I think it is possible to outgrow religion. It is possible that, you know, sometimes religions aren't very helpful. And that's why, you know, I was brought up very religious, but I've kind of migrated away from that. But I still have a degree of faith because it that's kind of been the foundation of my my personality and the way I, I, I live my life and the way I look at things and the way I behave and the decisions I've made. So, yeah, I don't necessarily subscribe to a religion. Don't tell my mum that. She'll go bonkers at me. <laughs> but yeah, my, my principles are still founded. They, they came about through faith. How did your parents react when you came out? I was actually outed to my parents by someone. 
um, which at the time was really painful. At the time when I was just coming out and working out exactly what my identity was and who I was, and it was a really confusing time, and I was outed to my parents. So it came as a bit of a shock to them. It came as a bit of a shock to me as well, because I was kind of like, I, I don't know what's going on. I'm kind of working it out. Um, I was in a straight relationship. I was married to someone prior to that. So I was still coming to terms with a lot of things very, very quickly. And then many years passed and my parents and I, we never really broached the subject. I never felt comfortable or sort of in the right frame of mind or time of life to talk to them about it. I thought, okay, do you know what? It's taken me 30 years to get to this point. I'm going to take a bit of time over this now because I can't expect my parents to come around in 30 minutes. And then actually it was during Strictly, uh, certain newspaper articles were flying around and my parents saw something and they were kind of like, What's, what's going on exactly? And my brothers had a chat with them first because they were, I live in London, but my brothers live much closer to my parents. And then I had a chat with my parents about it as well. And they were fantastic. You know, my biggest fear was that they were going to, uh, I was going to be outcast and they just would have freaked out and said, you know what, we can't handle this. We can't deal with this. And actually they were the complete opposite of that. Even my dad, who I didn't think who I thought was going to be very, you know, macho alpha about it all and kind of his reaction would be fear. It wasn't. It was completely the opposite. It was very welcome. It was very warm and it was very accepting. They haven't quite got their heads around it completely yet, but I'm giving them the time and space they need to do that. What they have told me is that no matter what, they they will always be there for me. And that's all I need to know. I actually didn't know that you were married before. Yeah, so I've, I, I don't believe in sexuality and being a black and white thing anyway, and maybe I'm somewhere along the spectrum, but I grew up, you know, wanting to live my life a certain way and thought that that's where my happiness was. I fell in love with someone who happened to be a woman and I thought, okay, do you know what? This is where my happiness is going to be. And we were together for several years. We got married. It was amazing. I didn't feel pressurized to do anything. I wasn't deliberately deceiving anybody for all intents and purposes for the both of us. It was the best thing ever. And we had several great years together. Unfortunately, towards the end of that relationship, things started to unravel for various reasons. And it was only when the relationship broke down that I really sat down and I actually sat down with a counsellor and thought, I need to work out what's going on here because there's so many confusing things. And that's when I was able to actually approach the sexuality side of things. But it's a time of my life when I look back on and that I, I have no regrets. I'm sorry things happened the way they did and turned out the way they did because pain is never a nice thing for anybody. However, I wouldn't change anything for the world because it was the making of me. It's what made me realise who I am and where my real happiness was. What happened when you realised you, you were gay? Was it straight in a cab to G-A-Y? Make up for lost time. No, no, not quite. <laughs> I, I'm envious of people that know they're sexuality straight away and can explore it and celebrate it i think for some of us it takes a bit more time and a bit more energy and a bit more heartache to get there and it took me a while to get my head around it it took me a really long time i had a lot of guilt for a very long time I had a lot of shame for a very long time i felt i felt doubly bad because when i came out firstly i felt like i had not been true to myself when i should have been when i potentially could have been, although there were lots of pressures at the time that made me feel like I potentially couldn't. But also I felt bad for this other person that was involved significantly in my life. It was just pants for everyone, really. And I felt ashamed. I felt guilty. I felt like the worst person in the world at the time. 
And then the last thing I wanted to do was jump in a couch. <laughs> Once I got my head round it and I got, I worked things through and got a bit more comfortable with it. That's when I jumped in the cab. Right. I really enjoy the phrase pants for everyone. <laughs> I imagine was, when you got out of the cab, you were like pants for everyone. Pants for everyone. It was a really, and I described it in an article before as literally, it felt like everything fractured, everything broke. And I had to start at square one again <sighs> and work out who I was and put my life back together in a very different way. But I couldn't have done that without the support of my friends and family. I, I'm so lucky that I have such amazing friends and family that basically picked me up and pieced me back together again. Oh, I really want to just like cuddle you for four <laughs> hours. but <laughs> Social distancing. Sorry, you can cuddle me for two meters away. It's amazing listening to you. And obviously, Dan and I have no idea what it's like to come out as Asian, it seems I don't think you can come out as cool. Asian, James. I think that's. I think that's. Again. <laughs> that's not what I meant. <laughs> now that would be something, James. <laughs> if you came out as a ginger Asian, what I was going to say was like, have you got any advice to any gay Asian people who are struggling because of a religious background? It is different for everyone. Everyone's situation is different. I was very lucky. There are some gay Asian people out there who, if they came out, their lives would be at risk. You know, they're in very, very precarious situations. And all I would say is your coming out experience and the way you do it and if and when you do it is completely up to you. Don't ever feel pressurized in terms of when or how you do it. If you do it, be very careful come out to somebody you can implicitly trust first of all if you don't have anyone like that in your life there are so many professionals and helplines and services out there that are willing to listen to you we may need to get you into a position where you can safely and openly be yourself but you can be you absolutely can be you deserve to be yourself it's not fair you get one chance at life and you get one chance at making it work and being as happy as you can be and being yourself, take it. Because trust me, as soon as you do, things get so much better. What's your advice on coming out as a ginger Asian person? (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps get to know some ginger Asians first and, you know, have them as your support mechanism and then call the ginger Asian hotline. Thank you so much. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> a gay and a non-gay with dr range dan has something that i think we should talk about it's a bit of an awkward situation but are you familiar with the term gaysian oh i'm cringing oh, yeah. so much. i basically came up with that term i was definitely responsible for spreading that term <laughs> around the midlands because nobody was saying it when, when i was at college i i remember saying that term for the first time and everyone thought it was hilarious and then next thing i know it, it was everywhere um, <laughs> are you are you saying you were responsible for naming gaysians i don't want to i don't want to quite say that because that's probably I mean, not true and possibly <laughs> why i'm cringing we've had like a very long discussion about this previously um and i have had a go at dan saying that that's not really okay for him to say that phrase let alone say that he came up with it where do you stand where do you stand on that <laughs> i think it's quite cute the term gaysian um thanks very much i I think the word Gaijin is an affectionate term and it's accurate and it's fine. Nobody minds it. It's not offensive. Not to me, at least, and not to the people I know who happen to be gay and Asian. However, I hate to burst your bubble. I don't think you came up with it. Thank you so much for joining us today. I um, 
I was really nervous to have you on actually because sometimes when I've seen you, um, you're Uh-oh. obviously being very much Doctor Range. So I wasn't sure how <laughs> how comfortable you were talking about personal stuff. Well, he was straight in like there with really... the rimming straight away. This is the real you, the you I I know from like being out and about. <laughs> yeah, this isn't the uh, uh, Doctor Range from CBBS at all. You won't get rimming on CBBS, I'm afraid. <laughs> Doctor Range, thanks so much for chatting to us today. Ah, uh, thank you, guys. Make sure you're following us at Gay Non Gay on Twitter and Instagram. We've just started doing some pub quiz content. Dan, your quiz mastering was excellent. Thanks. Who was it you didn't know how to pronounce the name of? The bloke from Lion King or something. <laughs> Timon. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of Timon and Pumbaa, you called him Timon. Might be worth doing a bit more research before the next pub quiz. Just just a quick heads up. I'll bear that in mind. Thanks. And don't forget to go to gaynongay.shop to get your hands on something very exciting launching in the next week. We want you to be the first to have it. Go to gaynongay.shop to sign up now and we'll tell you more as soon as we can. Find us on your socials at Gay Non Gay. Listen at GayNonGay.com or just search Non Gay at your fave pod app.